Welcome to the after party, the part of the show where we talk about what just happened, what might have happened, and answer your questions about the game. And we have so many great questions to answer later in the show. So thank you so much for sending them in on Twitter at Join the Party Pod and on Facebook as well at Join the Party Pod. We are going to start though with the battle that takes up the first half of this episode. Oh man, that was like the most dire, almost mortal battle that we have had so far. Don't mess with Johnny when he's mad. Some stuff could have happened there, but didn't, which is great. And rage mode means real consequences. That it does. Damn. (laughs) Greg's fine. Like, I'm (laughs) telling you, Greg's okay. It's bad news, but it was fine. I do personally feel pretty liable for Greg's well-being. So that's a relief. I don't. You know, he he knew better. We gave him so many chances. That's on him. That's During really that whole on him. battle, Michael slash Johnny was just like, they're being aggressive, so I'm going to kill them. I think it's very clear, not to get into character motivation, but like, you mess with <laughs> the person trying to bring the light to everyone, the light's going to hit back. <laughs> okay, but let's talk rage mode real quick. Yeah. Tracy, you very clearly went into rage mode and then just tried to kill Whatever was coming at us as a party. Is that how Rage Mode works? I did do that thing. Okay, so just for clarity's sake, real fast. If you guys listen to the backstory, you'll get a clearer picture of this. But basically, I was made to quell any dissent in the town I was made in. And I think how I envision the Rage Switch going is that while in Rage Mode, anytime an aggressor comes towards Tracy, he will react to it. That does not mean he is consciously reacting to it. In fact, he cannot remember for his own sake what happens. But yeah, I think that's how it works. So basically you were invented as an enforcer. Like you were invented to kind of carry out the whims of the person who made you. And now resurrected by Johnny and being, you know, having morals and being conscious, it's a little bit more discretionary when you go into rage mode and when you don't. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that his profession was was detective, but Detective with an asterisk, you know, he was investigating. Uh, Detective plus. Yeah. The Reckoning. <laughs> he was I'm invest- just saying, listeners, I would really enjoy that webcomic. <laughs> he was investigating on the whims of his creator, not on actual crimes or necessarily like any wrongdoing. And I think the great thing about Tracy is the fact that he has entrusted that part of himself with Johnny. Johnny is the one person that knows when exactly to turn on and turn off his rage switch. And that is a full that is a full amount of trust that he's given to Johnny. And what's great is Johnny, for being the dad-like figure he can be sometimes, doesn't always use rage at the right time, like the time that we used it just to tear down a door. <laughs> but um, Listen, there were some potions in there that we really wanted we to get really to. We really wanted those potions. We were trying to make a show. Yeah. We were really hungry. We didn't know there was going to be. Anyway. Guys, we finally got some bagels. I'm very excited about it. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, sorry. We got breakfast. But I'm sure Johnny knows. I'm sure Johnny knows the consequences of rage. And he would never use rage indiscriminately and at the wrong times without understanding the full consequences. Slash, he probably doesn't care too much. But I do like that as evidenced by extra dad moding by Johnny, 
that it really is that Tracy is there to, you know, protect his his friends. And I love that Inara has so quickly just joined the people he considers so important to Tracy. And in return, Johnny, you know, is there to help him and calm him down, whether or not it, that means turning off the rage switch or stop him from flipping chairs. Beautifully said. Oh, thanks, boys. And we were facing a really cool enemy, Eric. So at some point you mentioned pack dynamics or sort of like the three guards were like leaning together as if they were one entity. So I'm curious about that. And then also why whistling was a big part of this combat. At some point you said that Greg whistled and Michael leaned forward like I have not seen before. (laughs) Hey, Fish, did you just see Guardians of Galaxy as well? I love that movie. (laughs) All right, I guess I'll start there. The best part about making a homebrew D&D campaign is that you can steal from anywhere. Yeah. And the whole time I was looking at Yondu's arrow, the one that he controls just by whistling that flies through and just kind of kills everybody, I tried to think of how I could put that in a D&D campaign. And I figured that it would actually be a performance check. So what I did was I made this thing kind of autonomous, and it would go as a bonus action. And if you made a performance check a performance role, and you beat a certain level, it would automatically attack any enemy you wanted. And then they have to do a deck save to save their damage. I also like, because it's kind of, um, it's extra. Like, Greg did a hold person on Inara, and then he sent out the arrow. Mm-hmm. And Greg is a bard. He's actually a higher level than all of you. He's level four. I really want to read his poems. <laughs> that, that, I did not see his entrance coming at all, man. I was so surprised. I was so into it. I was like, oh, mother girl. I didn't know why it was happening. And I just want to read his chapbooks. I actually love bards. That is a very unpopular. That's the hot take of the week, I think. Loving bards, yeah. I love bards. Hot, hot take. take. JTP hot take. And I was so surprised that it was Greg that I was like, I don't believe you. And I wanted to keep doing perception to like see if he was someone else. I think the entire time until Tracy hits him and he bleeds, I was I personally was convinced that he was a uh, one of the like the shadow creatures from mm-hmm. the Yeah, Battle you were of convinced. You're like, don't worry, folks, he's not Greg. Like he's not he's not Greg. It's fine. Like, you know, and yeah. And then I murdered him. No, you didn't, you didn't murder him. I mean, Greg. almost. We got there. We got there. You did. I will tell you, you did take out more than two thirds of his HP in one hit. <laughs> I'll just be really quick about the guards. I reskinned the thug from the back of the monster manual. And one of the things they have is called pack tactics. If you are within five feet of one of your allies, they usually use this for like kobolds and like monsters that literally run in packs. But I figured that guards were similar. And they have this thing, and they get advantage if a pack of them are together. So if you're within five feet of another one of your allies, you get advantage. They were blinded, so I just kind of canceled them out, and then they just did regular attack rolls. Uh, I also reflavored their weapons. I came up with them. We didn't really get to use them that much, but I actually uh, used, like, a whip that was, like, ensnaring vine, which is supposed to restrain. And then the uh, baton, which is pretty much just like a magic taser, was going to paralyze you. And make you incapacitated. So, oh, ooh, shout out to Maria Martinson, one of our first patrons. She's the one with the football picture. Hell nice. yes. Her playing football. We love it. Yeah. Uh, she looks so badass. She's in like a football uniform, like American football with a helmet and a football. Like, damn, Maria. I know. Yeah. And um, so you are now the speaker of Concentra. Love it. So how did she get that? 
She got it by being one of our patrons. If you go to patreon.com slash join the party pod, starting at the $5 tier, you can be a part of our NPC lottery, where when I come up with NPCs who I want, I go through the Patreon list and I pick one randomly, totally randomly, I promise. Uh, And then I picked Maria's name. And I thought that Martinson was also kind of fit as a name for a government overseer. And I thought that was pretty good. And also Greg was being a butthole. Because Greg's a butthole. And he called her by her first name, which I thought was very funny. Yeah, that was rude. Really funny. Very rude. Um, the spell she cast with the big circle in the middle, Ooh. that is called Hallow. It is a fifth level spell. I think it's cleric, if I, my research is correct. Basically, it becomes like a, a magical like area of 60 feet, very large. Like fey, it's celestials, and demons can't go in. But then you can add another effect. All of them are like frightened or like they can't be like, possessed or something but i just decided that it would be pacify so like really tracy if you wanted to attack the speaker i wouldn't let you because hello would have stopped you it's so flavorful i love it i can see your hello 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 oh my god i can see your hello hello can we put that joke to the left to the left oh thank you and then final thing about combat is i did something new which i was really proud of myself for which is readying an action so can somebody help me explain readying an action which is like preparing something to do before you have to do it, getting it ready to like react in a snap in a moment versus skipping a turn, which you can also do in D&D. Basically what it means is you can say if X happens, then Y happens. Shout out IFTTT.com, my favorite website on the internet. Nice. Project managers. Uh, Reading an action is really useful if you're in a situation where kind of nothing's popped off yet, but you kind of know how you would act if certain things would happen. The difference between that and skipping means you'll be able to come in later in the order and kind of determine when, but you won't be able to immediately interrupt. So if, for example... Greg had come at me with a dagger, and I had readied my action to respond against somebody coming at me with a lethal weapon. I would be able, even though it wasn't my turn in the initiative, to jump up against him and respond. Versus if I had skipped my turn after Greg had done his action, which might have been jumping at me, might have been directing one of his guards, might have been going somewhere else, then Inara could have like jumped into the order if she hadn't done something before. But this is more like preparing against something immediate that I anticipate happening. It's almost like an interrupt. And you said lethal weapon, so I just thought, I'm getting too old for this. Can I you... shot a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Murdoch. I don't know your reference. Really? Lethal weapon? We got to watch Lethal Weapon. Oh, we have to watch Lethal Weapon. Uh, we have so movie many things night. we have to watch. So my favorite part of this episode is that we got to see Stoneface again. I just wanted to summon him because... I don't know. He's around. He knew what happened. He could tell Greg that we weren't actually kidnapping actually Alonzo, but I don't know. I was happy for the callback. He's a, he's the he's the greatest. He's the greatest. Greatest NPC of all time. He's the goat. He's the yeah. I'd like to remind everyone that he has a business card of mine that he can always use to make me feel like a little scratchy scratch in the back of my neck and I'll know that it's him. Oh my gosh, but also thieves can't? Like that was such a throwaway action for me and I'm so happy, Eric, that you gave me some kind of continuity there. Thank you. There's just so much about that rookery and about that guy that we all love. That rookery is going to be like the heart of the plot. I'm just saying. Perhaps it is the sandwich meat of the plot. Mm. Oh no! At Yikes. some point, Tracy's going to go into Cocoon and then emerge at Bumble <laughs> <laughs> Also, like, in my head, Stoneface was just, like, hanging out somewhere else. Like, you called him, but, like, when you call someone, 
they're not necessarily going to show up. I don't know. This is super weird that I'm talking about, like, you calling to a random gargoyle. No, but, like, your (laughs) mapping of the castle is a real part of this adventure that we have to kind of reckon with. And also, I was curious, Eric, about your kind of zooming out of the plot. Like, we're going from the sort of politics and situation of a particular city-state to our party determining the, like, political, dynastic, cultural future of— Potentially. Potentially. All of the concentric states. I will get to why we have opted in or out of this adventure in a minute. But, Eric, did you plan to zoom out as the adventure went on? I did. Um, this is kind of like in the hero's journey. You're getting the the quest. But, like, before you can do the quest, you have to do the challenge to do the quest, right? Yeah. So this is it. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a really long time. I mean, there have been snatches of... What's been going on in the concentric states, even from the trailer episode where you first learn vaguely about the story of the centering. Uh, And you've gotten some parts. You got the benediction from the priest in episode two. Cole tells you a little bit more in her office. Shout out Zach Lanzi and Julie Giaffini. Two lovely, lovely guests. And like this thing is definitely hangs over the concentric states. Like a political wedding isn't just a wedding. Yeah. And I think that was like the driving force of everything I wanted to talk about. Yeah, people aren't straight with anyone here. So I don't want you all to take offense, especially Tracy, who's very upset when he gets lied to. Obviously, no one has the right information. Maximilian hired you for whatever reason. Who knows if he actually told anybody about it. Alonzo sneaks out of the castle grounds by himself, even though that's super duper dangerous. And he got kidnapped. Who knows what Sylvanas... Kiko tells his sons or tells everyone else. And who knows what even happened in that conference room when they were yelling at each other. People aren't straight with people here. And I think it's up to you to roll with or try to shake out something. But you actually got a big chunk of story of realness from that's how the speaker was trying to convince you. Like, I'm going to tell you the the gravity of why we need you. And then I'm going to hire you and give you that, that cash if you do it. And shout out to Stoneface for giving us some actual information. Thanks, bro. Yeah, is Stoneface the literally only person we can trust in this castle? I mean, so far, that's who in our trust is outside this party. That's like, yeah, he's the only cool So dude. improbable. Because his accent I, is so annoying. I, I love him just so much. I guess. I don't know. I think information is a currency so far. And I think that might be something for you to think about as you play. Well, I'm glad I have a plus four to deception. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think all of us opted into this journey pretty readily. I know I can speak to why my character said yes to Speaker Martinson about this particular assignment. But, Johnny, why did you say yes? It was an easy yes, I think, for Johnny because this probably – I don't see it as the only quest he's ever been on. But also, since he is on a much larger, much more important quest, and that is to bring the light to everyone and to push out the darkness, this just seems like a great stepping stone to make that happen. And also, when a being of a celestial type nature asks of someone who is very, who's a very big believer of like the, let's call it the positive plane. Yeah, Johnny's going to listen. Johnny's going to be very into it, you know, cautious, of course, because there's a lot of issues with it. But it's going to be a yes, and I'll deal with the problems I have with it later kind of thing. 
And Tracy, you seem to have some conditions, but you also opted in. So what was the thought process there? At this point, Tracy doesn't believe literally anyone, excepting our party. Yes. And maybe Stoneface. And I think he didn't, just off the bat, didn't trust or believe the speaker. But when it, you know, when the when the cards are dealt, what he's going to do is be that rock for his party, which now very much includes Inara and obviously has included Johnny for a long time. And if he can, he's going to get some help or guidance or items or whatever it is from people who are more powerful than him in order to complete that task. But he's going to be along the road for whatever comes and he's going to take the beating when it needs to happen. Yeah, and as for Inara's part, her goal leaving her settlement was to see more of the world and to learn more skills. And what better learning opportunity is there than to follow someone famous and well-resourced with people who she respects and wants to learn stuff from? So I think that was her sort of calculus, like, okay, I'll be paid. I won't be a prisoner. I have seven bagels in my mouth right now. So it seems like a a pretty good thing to say yes to. Is Inara just in it for the bagels? Inara's not 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 in it for the bagels. She's not willing to risk it for the bagel. Uh, She she (laughs) risks it for any type of biscuit, bagel, bread, scone, quick bread, quick bread. Slow bread, peasant bread, sourdough, focaccia, black bread, focaccia. 15 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> Dinner rolls, matzah, crackers, Ritz. 38 minutes later. Soda bread, <laughs> Triscuit, reduced fat Triscuit, tomato, dried tomato Triscuit, sesame and garlic biscuit. Wait, what's the conclusion? <laughs> In conclusion, she will risk it for the Triscuit. Hey, Triscuit, get at us. We're looking for sponsors. What's up? This after party brought to you by Triscuit. <laughs> Listen, Tr- I wouldn't say risk no. Triscuit. For Tr- a Triscuit. Triscuit, put it in your mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> Triscuit, figure out what the spyglass means. Hey. Triscuit, not that great. No. I mean, oh, no. Oh, no. no. Triscuit, no. we love you. Oh, I have messed it just, up. I messed we, it up. We just ended in the opportunity. We've just, we uh, just courted and alienated a sponsor in the same breath. Damn. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's impressive for us. So we are starting arc two of this beautiful podcast, Woo! and I am so excited about Woo! it, yeah. y'all. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about the name of this arc and why it is what it is. Sure. This is called Political Party. As you might have figured out, the convention of our arcs is we're going to have party in the name of each one. We did a brainstorming document. And we have like 45 choices. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm very excited. So to don't use... support us too long, like past 45 arcs. <laughs> oh, no. I'm very excited to use bachelor party. That's going to be a good one. Um, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Does Tracy get married? <laughs> oh, no. So this one's called political party. I wanted to introduce the machinations of just like the world as a whole and how the society holds itself together and really the political people who are involved in the and the the stakes really i think this adventure is a political game although you're going to have plenty of time to run around fight people there's going to be magic and monsters bad guys and good guys and something in between this is still has the fate of an entire continent with a really kind of structured government at the center but i think that it's important to recognize the politics at play. I mean, politics can be fun. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of Alonzo along the way. Yes, we will. 
As much as uh, Johnny will be a nice dad, like figure to him, I already know he has no patience for his crap. He did not help us in that encounter. I'm not going to make PP stops. Are I will <laughs> turn. I will turn this caravan around. Are you we there yet? In the Gatorade no. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, we'll see what happens there. If we if we pass this challenge, who knows? So we got a question in from Nora, who asks, I love the integration of items like gears and guns, items reminiscent of the steampunk genre. What is your inspiration for these particular additions into your ostensibly fantasy world? So I want to start with Eric and then also go to Brandon, since you are doing a quasi-steampunk, a quasi-robot. The interesting part about steampunk is that it recalls a point in American society and also world society where steam was the main source of energy in all of these alternate like mechanical universes all you're really talking about is energy source are you talking about electricity are you talking about coal are you talking about steam and in this point we're talking about arcane energy so when i think about mechanics and i think about batteries I still can't believe that electricity was so widely used in the 19th century. That feels so long ago when someone figured out how to get this idea of energy and electricity to be used. So it's like if you can harness magical energy to do whatever you want, when we're talking about the artificer, the thing that Cole is that Julia played, um, and all the mechanics that she can work on, or we're talking about Tracy or the gun, it really just is like, in a place where magic is so prevalent, why would anyone spend any time researching electricity or coal or steam when you can do magic? Which is um, feels a lot more malleable to me than any of the sources that we have now. It can not only give life, as we're talking about the Iron Golem, or we're talking about Tracy, but it's just like really high-powered. It can replace gunpowder and be dangerous. I don't know. That stuff just kind of like, it, it fascinates me about what society's relationship to building stuff is and what is the energy source that is the most easily accessible. And also ambition, because when do you accept that this thing we stumbled upon is the way forward and so we should stop discovering alternatives and start focusing on, you know, how to like fully commit to this path. That's why I love steampunk so much is I love reading about inflection points, decision points, paths not taken, and everything steampunk, whether it's like a steampunk space situation or it's steampunk here on Earth or steampunk fantasy, whatever, it's such a like full exploration of a very specific granular what if question, where what if instead of continuing to, you know, futz with uh, lightning and electricity and coal and all of that, we figured like, this seems pretty good. And, you know, and, and we continued to like allow the world to develop fully down this corridor. The best part about that is that steampunk like recalls that era, which is why like you have the goggles and the top hats. So I'm kind of like unbridling our society, the society of the concentric states yeah. from any sort of standards that exist now. So we can like kind of build our own stuff. Like, yeah, you got a magical motorcycle. What does that look like? Is it the same thing as like a motorcycle gang in the 21st century, in the 20th century? Like does like hell's angels still exist when you're not like filling up at gas stations. To me, the whole idea of, of this is it, it really reminds me of a system called Shadowrun, which has uh, subsequently become a, uh, a video game where it's actually really cool. In the video game, you can set up and play an RPG almost under their systems, just online with other people. It's one of those games I, 
I might end up doing a blog post because there's these other video games that you can play RPGs within their system as if you're playing D&D in person wow. or That's RPGs. Cool. But Shadowrun is is I feel like the concentric states in like a thousand years just becomes Shadowrun, <laughs> which is a modern or futuristic setting where magic's always existed, tech has always existed, and it's all about energy. What powers the tech? It's generally magic based. I love that so much. I think it also helps open up your imagination, for lack of a better word, and like allows you to imagine more things existing in this space. Like this is not a high fantasy world as we traditionally conceive of it. And it's not a modernist world, right? And it's not a complete Victorian, you know, England or US steampunk world. Uh, and I, I think that's why I loved Blade Runner so much when I first saw it is because it combined the sort of like grittiness of mercenaries and kind of big cities and the kind of seedy underworld type thing with really slick AI in a way that I, you know, had not seen combined in that way. Yeah. I also don't buy that, like, if you are trying to create a real world where there are races that don't have magic, the only way forward is that, like, non-magical races are going to build technology. So there is going to be a mix of technology and magic. So, like, if you're trying to build a, a real world that's not, you know, straight up high fantasy Lord of the Rings, like, there is going to be that interplay. And it's going to be a really interesting cross-section of, like, how do the human races deal with these wizards that can destroy them with a wand flick, you know? Yeah. And they do it by building machines. That's what humans do. That is what occupied all of my brain when I was reading Harry Potter as it was coming out is like, oh, okay, but like medicine, like wizards need medicine and humans need magic. And like, how how are we not talking to each other about all of this stuff? And that's one place where fan works come in is there are so many hundreds of thousands of fan works that imagine like, okay, so what if Hermione became a chemist? And what if Draco Malfoy went into like medical development? Or what if the Aurors and the London police actually worked together? What if politicians crossed over? Like there are endless thousands of ways that people have actually thought through the logistics of what that kind of integration might look like. And it's the best thing. I love fans. I love that kind of infrastructure logic, thinking about the elemental facts of magic and also like the actual sociopolitical world in which it exists. My most favorite and most memorable part of Harry Potter was when the prime minister met up with. Uh, oh, my God. At the beginning of book five. Yeah. Fuck. It's the best scene. Yeah. It was it was the best scene because it, it like it punctured the veil of the wizarding world yep. at the beginning of the book that kind of punctured the idea that this is still a children's story. It was such a good beginning. Oh, my God. If you guys didn't listen to the Potterless podcast, my friend Mike Schubert t- uh, is reading Harry Potter as a 26 year old man and interviews fans like me about the various chapters of the book. And I talked at length about this subject with him when I did Chamber of Secrets. Well, thank you so much, Nora, for sending in that question. Anyone can email us anytime at hello at jointhepartypod.com. You can also go to jointhepartypod.com and click the contact form there. We also have transcripts of all these episodes, all these after parties, our punch bowl interviews, which are amazing and really worth listening to, all on the website. And then you can also find us, of course, at Join the Party Pod on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We post pictures of our actual faces on Instagram if you wonder what we look like. If you don't, that's fine. Don't. We're really I mean, cute. You're we're not missing super anything. cute. Oh, no, we we're went very- different directions with that bit yeah we're really cute yeah well in any case you can do what you like but we (laughs) would love to hear from you to get your questions for future after parties so send them to us anytime 
What we would actually love, though, even more than after-party questions, and we love after-party questions, are reviews on iTunes. It is really, really helpful for you to, on your desktop or on your Apple device, to go to iTunes, subscribe to us, give us a rating, write something nice. It really helps us to get in front of new listeners. And at this point, that is what we want to do the most, is to get the show in front of new folks. We love seeing you recommending the show to friends on Twitter, hashtag jointhepartypod. Invite your friends to join the party. That's the reason we chose this title. That's the reason we're doing what we're doing, trying to make this open to beginners and folks who don't think of themselves as D&D fans. If you like the show, I know that you know people who will like it as well. Thank you so much to people who have done it already. And if you really want to go above and beyond, if you want to read the amazing blog posts that we are writing for you every single week, every single week, one of us writes a blog post for all of our patrons. Eric writes NPC backstories for every single episode, little snippets of life for the NPCs, the characters that we meet along the way. We have bloopers. We have extras of all sorts. We have photos. We have polls. It is a really, really awesome community. The best part is the Discord, where all of our patrons and all of us are in that chat room every single day. They're setting up Overwatch campaigns together. We're trading ice cream recommendations. We're posting photos of dogs. Guys, it's a really great community. There are so, so many dogs. So many dogs. I love the dogs. Uh, Cats, dogs, squirrels, squirrels, squirrels. squirrels. Birds. Birds. Yeah. Oh, we got there was burbs. a creepy bird. It was awesome. And for <laughs> as little as two bucks, two bucks, you can join us and make some new friends and tell us all about your stories and your life and ask questions. It is really, really amazing. And I'm so grateful for those of you who have already joined. But you can join us there at patreon.com slash join the party pod. Thanks for listening, guys. Nice. See you later. Undying light be with you. Bye, 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 bye.